So this is part two in our series where we're looking at Elijah and uh, some experiences that he had when his world dried up. And the reason we're looking at it is because I'm expecting, maybe expecting is a positive word and we shouldn't be using that, but I'm assuming there are some people in our church whose world is drying up, at least a part of their world. So we're looking at what we can learn, practical life lessons on what we can learn when your personal world dries up. So uh, we're in 1 Kings chapter 17. We were there uh, this last week, uh, last Sunday, and we looked at uh, his world dried up because God had brought a judgment and it had stopped raining for an indefinite period of time. Nobody knew how long it was going to be. We learned later it was three years, but nobody knew it at the time. They just knew it's not raining. It's drying up. It's getting drier and drier as the time goes on. And nobody knew when it was going to end. God told Elijah, the prophet, I want you to go to the Cherith Ravine. And there you're going to find a brook. You're going to have plenty to drink. And ravens are going to bring you food. If a raven brought me some food, I'm not so sure I'd want to eat it. But if I was starving, it might be another story. So <clears throat> we pick up our story here in verse 7 where we left off last week. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour, listen to this, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. God is the great provider. He provides in amazing ways, and as we see from our story here, uh, he's still providing. 
The reason this story is preserved in the Bible is for you and I in the New Covenant, the New Testament, the 21st century Christians can read this and be inspired and find hope in God. Because God hasn't changed. His plan for salvation has changed, but God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can expect what we learn about God in this story to be true for our lives. What I want us to see here is when we read these stories, we're not reading history stories, something that happened long way back then. This is the Word of God. God has given us these stories and preserved these stories so He could speak to us in our time of need. When we have weakness, when we have problems, when we don't know where to turn, He wants to give us hope. So these stories are there to give us hope. So I want to I share some lessons we learned from this story. At least the Lord's spoken to me these lessons. Maybe, he's, maybe there's more lessons for you. Here's lesson number one. God provides in the testing time. In the testing time. Did you know that? There's, there's testing times. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how much you pray. I don't, I don't care how blessed you are. There's testing times. You and I have to deal with these testing times. You know what the word Zarephath means? Refining furnace. You know what happens in a refining furnace? Everything gets so hot it melts. When it melts... Then they can skim off what doesn't belong off the top and it purifies. That's a refining furnace. It's got to get super hot. And if God is going to refine us, and I believe that's what he does, that's what the word, that, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He is a sanctifier. He moves in our lives. He purifies us. He heats things up so he can come along and skim off what doesn't belong so we've been purified. Zarephath. I'm going to send you to Zarephath, the refining fire. I believe he sends each of us to the refining fire. I've been there. I don't like it. But it's what refines me. It's what removes what, I, what doesn't belong. That just gets in the way of my service for God. And it's not just at Zarephath, but it is in the region of Sidon. That's not even in the Holy Land. That's up north. Gentile territory. And the widow is not a Jew. The widow is not a Christian. The widow isn't even a believer. She, she refers to the Lord, your God, not our God. She, does, she doesn't claim God as hers. Sidon, Gentile territory. And God's going to provide for the great prophet Elijah through this poor widow woman who doesn't have a bit of faith. If God can provide for a righteous man through somebody like this widow in Zarephath, you think God can't provide for you through your next door neighbor, through your supervisor, through your boss, through other people in your life that are totally ungodly that you want to try to get away from? It's possible they're the source that God wants to use to bring blessing into your life. It's a matter of you submitting to him and watch God what he, do what he wants to do. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. Yes. Not your riches. His riches. How much? What all does God have? That's the store 
That's the storehouse. That's where he draws the blessings that he can flow into our lives. So you may look at the world around you and say, we're in a drought. Everything's dried up. There seems to be no good coming from any place. You serve a God who's still alive. Hang on to him. Psalm 37, verse 25, the psalmist says, I was young and now I am old. In other words, looking over my lifetime, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. In other words, God promises to put his favor in us. And if you're saying, I, I, I want that to be true, I wish that were true, but I don't see it true in my life. Maybe we need to connect with Jesus Christ. He's what connects humans with a a holy God. Jesus Christ is the bridge. He's the mediator. He's the high priest. He's the one we need to connect with to see his favor in our lives. So God provides in the testing time. Here's the second lesson we learned. You have to ask. You have to ask. It doesn't just happen by itself that God's going to send favor in your life. You have to ask him to send favor in your life. You have to present the challenge. That's what the ask is. Present the challenge. You have to, we have to challenge. My personal story is I had a big struggle deciding to go into the ministry. I did not want to do it. I did not think I was wired appropriately. And I, I remember telling God, God, I will go any place you want me to go. I will do anything you want me to do except pastor a church. I can't do that. Don't ask me to do that, God. You know why? Because I thought if you're going to pastor a church, you have to fight. And you have to beg for money. That's what I thought. I had a misconception. I had a wrong expectation. When we outgrew the little building we were in and we needed to expand and we needed to build this one and we didn't have money for it and the people we had were blue collar workers and not that many. How in the world are we ever going to afford to do this? And I made my mind up. I was not going to do the normal thing. I was not going to go to the rich business people in the community. I was not going to try to ask them to give toward, toward this. I'm going to go to the people you've given us, God the people that are here every Sunday. I'm going to go to them, and I will, I will not beg for money, but I'm going to ask them to step into the... I challenge them. I'm going to give them a challenge. I'm going to, in, in ministry circles, we call this the ask. I'm going to give, make the ask. We're going to challenge people to step up and do it. And I did not go to any of the big money people, only the people that we had in our church. And once we did that, I, my mind was blown away. People from outside our church called me up asking if they could give toward it. We had this one businessman here in Waterloo who called me up and asked me some questions about the project. I knew who he was, but he didn't come to our church. And, I, and he asked me some questions about what we were doing, and I, I told him the what and the why. And he said, I'll tell you what. I believe in what you're doing, and we want to get behind it. I would like to give $20,000 toward that project. Wow. Didn't even come to our church. 20 grand's a whole lot of money. When you're starving, when you don't have enough, that's a lot of money. And then he said, now that's, that's for three years, right? And I said, yes, a period of three years. And he said, okay, $20,000 each year. 
I about fell off my chair. I didn't ask him. He asked me. God taught me a valuable lesson. There are people that want to do something significant. There are people that want to be a part of the kingdom of God. There's a pe- there, there are people out there that want to give and see the kingdom blessed. And if we don't ask them, it's not going to happen. That's why every week we give you the challenge. We remind you about being givers because I want to pull you in. I'm not going to beg for money, but I do want to tell you the opportunity that's right there, the investment. All right, where was I? Oh, this is, uh, this is kind of like Israel wandering in the wilderness. For 40 years they wandered. God didn't give them any choices, right? He didn't give them any options. He said, when that pillar of fire moves, you follow it. When it stops and you want to move, you stay. He didn't give options. He led them. And I've seen in my own life, he doesn't give me many options. He sets me up, and I can rebel, but he sets me up with opportunities. He sets you up with opportunities. He wants to bless us. He wants to favor us. But he works so slow. Maybe it's because we are so stubborn. And God's God put us in the furnace, heat us up so we can skim off what doesn't belong. And as soon as he gets it purified, guess what? He marches me over to another furnace, does it all over again, brings more of that stuff that doesn't belong up. God wants to use us. He said, go at once to Zarephath. What if I don't like Zarephath? What if I don't like it? doesn't make any difference. I'm going to provide for you there. You have to go there to that dried up place. Israel used to have plenty of rain, but now it's dried up. Sidon never had any rain. It was always dried up, but God tells him to go there. Makes matters worse before it gets better. Verse 9, he says, go at once to Zarephath. Verse 10, a widow was there. God works, the Holy Spirit works both ends at the same time. He'll tell me to do one thing, and he's prepared this other person over there. I believe God prepared me to put this message together to share with you today, and lo and behold, here you are listening to it at such a time as this. Maybe it's because some of the things that I'm saying, God's saying to you individually. Matter of fact, that's exactly what I prayed for. That there would be something that I'm saying that speaks to every single person. And it won't be the same. Because we're all over the board in our spiritual development. Amen? Amen. So you have to ask. Here's the, uh, the third lesson. God works with little faith. We like to think he works with big faith. And he does. But he also works with little faith. And because it's God doing the work... Sometimes I wonder if it really matters how much faith I have. He works with little faith. The widow says, I would give you some bread, but I only have enough. Just a handful of flour here at the bottom of the barrel. Just a little, just a little couple drops of oil left in this cruise. There's not enough. I'm going to go home right now and fix the last bit of bread for my son and I, and then we're going to die. That's where her faith is. That is her expectation. 
We're in the process of dying. I really can't help you, Elijah. Elijah expects life. The widow expects death. Where is your expectation today? I kind of feel in my spirit that somebody is here today and you have fear gripping your heart. What's your expectation that brings about fear? You have faith in the, in the bad instead of faith in the good? We need to think about this. We, some of us, we need to, faith tells me, t- faith tells us we need to change our expectations. If, uh, if you're if you going to use a restroom someplace, chances are there's a basin in there with a faucet, and there's one, one side has an H on it, and the other side has a C on it. You know what the H and C stand for, right? That's our expectation. You turn the H, you're going to get hot water, right? You turn the C, you're going to get cold water. That's our expectation. But if you ever travel to a Spanish-speaking country, you might have some difficulty. Because the Spanish word for hot is caliente. starts with a C. The Spanish word for cold is helado, which starts with an H. You could get your expectations all rattled going, <laughs> going someplace else on a missions trip. Sometimes we need to shift our expectations. Most people in Elijah's place would want to find a rich person and ask the rich person for some bread. But God tells him to go to a poor person who has no resources. Go where there's hopelessness and make the ask where there's hopelessness. That takes some faith, doesn't it? I love this story. It's just full of life. So Elijah's hope is in this. God said, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. That's his hope. He's got his hope anchored in the word of God. God has spoken to him and he's not letting go of it. He's hanging on to that hope. He's hanging on to that promise. And even when the widow argues with him and says, I can't do that. He pushes just a little bit more because he knows faith is going to bring the breakthrough. Yes. Come on. God taught him a valuable lesson at Cherith about God's provision. Now, when you learn a lesson from God, you have a responsibility to pass that on to somebody else. So God taught him a valuable lesson about provision. And what is he doing now? He's teaching the poor widow who knows nothing about God. He's teaching her. He's passing it on to someone else. This is what we do. This, this is the value of the assembly of the saints. When the church comes together, we inspire each other. When I'm going through a dry spot, you've just been rained on. The showers of blessing flow into your life. And I need you to talk to me when I'm in my dry spot and vice versa. We need that from one another. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus replied, because you have so little faith... Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So I've learned, it's just, for my level of faith, it's just too much to believe that God's going to move a mountain. I would like to believe that. 
I pray that way, I work that way, but I just have a hard time believing God's going to move a mountain. But you know what I can do? I do have a level of faith of saying, God, I trust you. Here's this big mountain in the way, and I, it seems like you're telling me to go to the other side, but the mountain's in the way. I don't know what's going to happen, but God, I'm going to trust you. That takes faith. But it's a whole, it takes a whole lot less faith, a little faith, the kind of faith that gives God the big glory when it comes through to just trust God to move the mountain. All right, here's number four. I got to hurry. Number four, God provides through our humility. Listen, this is Elijah the prophet. This is the guy that takes on hundreds of prophets, calls down fire from heaven. This is the guy that gets to stand before King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and tell them that it's not going to rain for three years because of their rebellion. That'll give you a big ego to be in front of quality people like that. But he's got to go to a poor widow hiding out in some strange land. That's humility. To talk to a woman, the widow, like he does, expecting God to do something great through her. That takes humility. He says, first... I know you're going to go and bake bread for you and your son, then you're going to die. I understand that's where your faith is. But first, first, make some bread for me. First, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, from what you have. He's not asking for something she doesn't have. From what you have. What is it you have right now? That's all you really need, whatever it is you have. From what you have and bring it to me. Make an investment in me. I know you're going to die. That's where your faith is. But take care of me first. How would that fly if some preacher tried that today? That'd be all over the newspapers. He'd be out of a job. We don't expect a pastor to have faith like that, do we? It's humbling. Elijah learned a great lesson at Cherith. Now he's teaching that widow to trust. God's provision works backwards from the world's provision. God's ways are not like our ways. God's ways are just so different that we have to completely reprogram the way we think. That's why daily devotions of the Bible, getting the Bible down in your soul, reading it over and over and over again, reading it from different angles, Old Testament, New Testament, epistles, gospels, reading it from every angle, because we're reprogramming our mind to think like God thinks, so we can be receptive to the blessings He wants to bring into our life. Proverbs 22.4 says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord is wealth, honor, and life. What's he saying? He's saying if you will put your life in Jesus' hands, he will come in and begin to work amazing things in your life. But he'll never do it according to your plan. He always does it according to his plan. Come on. Good work. All right, here's number five. God provides our daily bread. Yes. Daily. Faith is required Every day. Now we're Americans in the 21st century. We don't like daily provision. 
We want a little extra in the cupboard, in the freezer, in the bank account. We want a little bit of safeguard. We want a little bit of security. But these people in this day and age, back then in Bible times, they had to live one day at a time. They got their paycheck, if, if at all, they got a paycheck for the day's work. They used, to, they used to call people day laborers because they worked for one day at a time and they got their pay at the end of that day. No barrel of flour materialized. Nobody dropped it off at the door. They didn't discover some, some container of oil out back. They just, they don't know where it came from, but there it was. No, no, no. That would give them a reason to believe. But when you only have enough for one day, that's not reason to believe until you've seen it happen day after day after day after day. Then it begins to compute. Where is this coming from? How is this working? If I give that money to the church, how am I paying my bills? How does, how does the rest, how does the 90% stretch? I don't know how this works. Nobody knows how it works. It's faith. It's a principle that God puts into play. The manna God provided for in the wilderness was a daily provision. You couldn't hold it back till tomorrow. It would be all moldy tomorrow. Full of worms. You had to go collect it daily. Every day. Jesus said in that famous Lord's Prayer. He said, give us this day our daily bread. One day at a time. If God had filled containers to the brim, miraculously, everybody would have had a reason. But they have to trust Him every day. God wants you to trust Him every day. It's hard for God to get you to trust Him every day when we have to have so much excess, so much insurance just in case. Why do we need to trust God? Our whole economic system kind of takes care of that, doesn't it? Makes a godless society when we don't, really, don't think we need to trust God every day. But God blessed Elijah and the woman. And her son, who didn't even take a step of faith and provide the bread. He gets blessed. God provides everybody. It reminds me of the story of Jesus with Peter in the New Testament, where Peter's been out on his boat fishing all night, and he can't catch anything. There's no fish. Can't catch it. Just can't catch any fish. And Jesus asked him, how's the fishing? We haven't caught anything all night. Drop your net on the other side, Jesus said. And when he dropped the same net on the other side of the boat, so many fish began to, to, to bring up in the net. The nets began to break. So they had to call in their partners. Their partners came out with another boat, and they worked together, and they filled up both boats. God was blessing Peter, and everybody else, it just spilled over. Everybody else got, got blessed. That's just the way it works. God wants to bless you. And in blessing you, he wants it to spill over into other people. Don't be greedy with the blessing. God wants it to spill over into other people. He wants, he wants to see you as a channel of blessing so others can be blessed as well. 
So here's what I want us to see. The gist of the matter is God is God. He hadn't changed. He's still up there. He's still looking down at us. Still wants to use us. Still wants to bless us. Still wants to pour out his favor. <clears throat> but we have to ask. We have to take that step in. And I'm just wondering if we have some people here today. Well, let, me, let me tell this story so you know where I'm coming from. I had a conversation with my nine-year-old granddaughter uh, a while back. And she, was, she began asking me questions about heaven and God. Now, when, when your kid starts asking those questions, you know that's the time to talk about it. When, they, when they're interested, that's the time to talk. Not when you sit down and have a lecture with them. But when they're interested, that's the time to talk to them. So I recognized what was happening. So I asked her about praying for her sins. Have you ever said a prayer and asked Jesus to forgive your sins? She said, oh yes, lots of times. <laughs> so I knew she, she was taking the bait. She was going where I want to go. So I said, listen, it's not about asking Jesus to forgive your sins. That's, that's a part of the deal. It's about you inviting his spirit to come into your life. And when you invite the spirit of God to come in, it's like, it's like you just inhaled with that's what spirit means, breath. You just inhaled the presence of God and something stuck in there. Like COVID will stick in your lungs. Well, the spirit will stick in your lungs. It'll go in and it'll hang on and it'll hang on. And it's contagious and it will continue to affect your life. It makes, it makes you be able to have life a whole, from a whole different perspective. This is being born again having the Spirit of God come in so He'll never leave you, never forsake you, follows you wherever you go, sets up and orders your steps. You may not like it, but it's always going in a direction He wants it to go, and He loves us. So I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to give the ask. If you're here and you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, but you've never invited him to come into your life. You've never given your life to him. You've never put your life in a place where his spirit can really begin to bring life to you. I'm going to ask you, I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. Just stand right where you are. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to have his favor in your life. I'm going to pray for people that stand. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? This is your moment. Holy Spirit's in this room. You sense it? He wants to do something right now. Let's all say this prayer together out loud. Heavenly Father, I believe in you. And I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he died on the cross, paying the price for my sin. And today I am accepting what he did for me. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I nail my sin on the cross with Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit inside of me. I surrender my life to you, Lord. 
Take me and use me. Fill me. Speak to me. And make me a channel so I can bless others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You just took a major step in the Spirit, those of you that stood. Thank you for doing that.